ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Above the Bar podcast. For each week, we belly up to the bar with a new guest, find out what they do, who they are, and what makes them great. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Above the Bar podcast. It's your host, Sean. We bellied up to the bar today with a gentleman who, let's say, I get it wrong, but I think he we figured it out beforehand. He's wrote, he wrote five since we were just talking. He's wrote somewhere around like it's, it's, it's six, 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 six now, son of a gun, like 450 books. He's got like movies. He's got screenplays. Uh, he's on Twitter. I mean, what more could we ask for? Um, he's had charitable organizations, which I, everybody, you know me, you know, I love a good charitable organization. Belling up to the bar with us from parts unknown, hanging out, and he, and he wears a bandana well. There's only one other person that I know of that wears a bandana this well, and I can't think of his name right now. It's what's his name from, uh, the E Street Band, uh, little, oh, no, little, Steven. little Steven is the only other person that I know that wears a bandana as well as our guest today, Mr. Mickey Z. Thank you, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited. Brother, you know, I mean, parts unknown. You like that? I always liked when they said, coming in from parts unknown. Back in the old wrestling days, right? They That's would- it. <laughs> Oh, uh, you already got our our favorite transcendental dancer, Miss Cody, hanging out. She posted pictures earlier today. She's at like a girls' weekend already, and it's only Wednesday, so I don't know how that works <laughs> works out. But is it from last weekend or this I coming know, weekend? Never know. Like Cody, I, we love Cody. Every time I turn around, I look and see pictures, and it's like she's in Costa Rica, she's in Paris, like she's always somewhere. My man Nate's there, so everybody's already showing up. So we're gonna get into it real quick. Uh, before we get too far, as always, folks, over my right shoulder, if you're watching the live, we got the big board for sticker and a cause. If you got something you believe in, Cody, you got to get me some transcendental st- stickers, maybe some transcendental dance stickers. Uh, if you got something you believe in, something you support, I don't care if it's a web page or a Facebook page like the flock that Nathan runs, if you're a big Ravens fan, if you got a page like Cody does with her transcendental dances, whatever it is that you got going on. Send it on on out to us. You can reach me at Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, Instagram, even our email. They're all the Above the Bar podcast. Send me a message. Let me know what you got. I'll give you the address where to send it, and we'll read it live here on the air. Everybody's already showing up for you, Mickey. Uh, and it oh, it's Happy Paranormal Day. Is it? It was also uh, Lumpy Rug Day. I found out today. <laughs> like, well, it, that it, kind of blends with paranormal because because it could be a ghost in the lumpy rug. Exactly. You know, so all those things. And as always, you know, we have our sponsors, you know, our our newest sponsors, Budget Binds of East Greenbush, a locally owned and operated window covering franchise that offers a high quality custom blind shade shutters and drapes at affordable prices. Their knowledgeable and experienced team is dedicated to providing excellent customer service and helping you find the perfect window treatment to fit your style and budget. Uh, stay up to date with your latest products, promotions, and design tips and by following them on Facebook and Instagram at Budget Blinds of East Greenbush. You know what's something else they offer their uh, 
Mickey, that I think is pretty amazing. We were talking about this beforehand. And uh, they all, do you know what an NQA warranty is? You're asking me? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No questions asked. No questions asked. So they offer a no questions asked warranty. That means if one of your pair, that means if your poltergeist throws your lumpy rug through and oh, Lisa Marie's one here. And this is even more important. Lisa Marie will tell you uh, if you're, if your haunted dolls throw your lumpy rug at their paranormal, at their poltergeist boyfriend, and it breaks your, your blinds, no questions asked for five years, one time, they'll replace them for free. I love the synchronicity there. That, that was it idea. all works together yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, because Lisa Marie has 60 haunted dolls. Oh. And then Cody has this monstrous mastiff uh and yes her mastiff is ridiculous so we're all here everything's done the bar is wide open uh how are you mickey i'm doing well i'm real happy to be here you know and i appreciate that you have a nice mic you're set you are ready to go yeah well i do a podcast so yeah and that's right you have so yours is the post woke post woke podcast yes now give everybody kind of a breakdown and we're going to touch all kinds of things, but in all of them in an appropriate and asked way, but <laughs> is it perfect for post woke, right? What is post woke? Well, in the big picture, post woke, the podcast is part of a Substack, which is called post woke. So since I'm a writer, as you noted earlier, I post articles every day, but once a week or so I do an interview podcast the general concept of why it's called post-woke is because, um, should I ruin the mystique of the parts unknown and tell you where I'm from? Give the parts unknown. Okay. So it's New York City, born and raised. And I would have never heard that with your accent. <laughs> I'm walking here. <laughs> How are you doing? So I grew up in New York City, got involved in activism in what would have been called traditionally back then left before there was such a thing as woke. And while I was involved, it began this transition towards what is today called woke. And I have long since uh, extricated myself from that and become more of what I call the free agent. I try not to attach to any one ideology. And so the, pod, the podcast name, I thought, effectively uh, described where I'm at. And, and it's kind of clickbaity where people want to know, hey, what's this about? So it draws people in. They want to they want to know what's going on. And even people who identify as woke want to know what's going on. So that's the basic premise. So now how long have you been doing your show? Um, since November 2021. Um, so I'm about, I have about half as many episodes as you. I'm about 80, 81 episodes. Look, you, you broke the 10, the 10 barrier that I tell people this all the time. If you can get past 10 podcasts on a regular basis, you, you broke the barrier. That's the magic number. Most people can't get past 10 because they can't put in the, in the effort. Look at that. Cody's even singing to you. She's saying the whole, Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. A <laughs> uh, little musical interlude. And yes, we yeah. will make many left turns there, Nate, but it, it's interesting. And it, I'm trying to think of God. I can't think of his name right now. The comedian that I, and I actually like him a lot. Pat Oswalt. He just recently talked about this and I'm, I wanted to get, especially with your show name, I wanted to get your vibe on this and, and see what you thought he talks about you know he feels like he's pretty woke he's pretty liberal and if you know uh patent you would say yeah. you know um but he says at some point in his life he will no longer be able to be woke 
not because not because he's not supporting anything it's just things will go so far to the yes. to that to that end that he's going to be like i didn't even know that was a thing i didn't know know that was you know how am i supposed to and, and he uses the analogy of people messing around with their um their clones sleeping <laughs> with their clones is his analogy but what are your thoughts you know what, I mean, especially since you do a show about that that basic topic there, what's your thoughts that, you know, will we some point re at some point reach a point where I can't be that woke like that? We're so far past there. Uh, well, I personally have reached that point. And to 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 phrase from my perspective, it was an interesting experience. I, I'm somebody that's constantly evolving. But to some point, the wokesters abandon me more so than me abandoning them. They just keep moving into this sort of totalitarian direction. And when I was involved, let's say with, let's say go back 11, 12 years ago, Occupy Wall Street. Oh, I remember. And, yeah. So it wasn't, the, the, the word woke was never used while I was there. And so it was when the park was up and running, there was a pretty broad group of people there. And I felt like I could relate to each person about a couple of things. I wasn't, nobody should have to march in lockstep. What's happened since then is that this, this strange phenomenon where the people I once collaborated with who talked about free speech and no censorship have become the, the champions of thought police group think, you know, just really, really keeping an eye on what words you say and words are violence. And, and so I think they've way, in fact, I would say, I know they have seriously overplayed their hand. Like they, they come out, they came into this with some good ideas and then went off the rails. And what they do to my mind is, is more accurately called virtue signaling than activism because they're just, they're just basically, more concerned with appearances. They just want to look like they're caring about all the oppressed people that people they consider to be oppressed, but they're not really doing anything for them. And anyone who doesn't march with them is the enemy. So it turns into what feels to me like, like more like fascism while they like to have a group like Antifa, which is short for anti-fascist to, to be policing people's words goes well beyond irony at this point. So at some point I just said, um, I was in, I came into this with good intentions. I have a natural tendency to keep evolving and keep my options open and, and be, be ready to find out that I'm wrong about stuff. So those two converged and I just drifted away, but no longer felt the need to be part of a group, but wanted to, wanted to be sort of what, like I said, a free agent, but also open to learning and interacting with all kinds of people. So that's, that's what the Substack has been about. Gotcha. And, and I, I agree with, with Cody extremes are extremes are extremes. We must always find balance, non-emotional solutions for balance for the greater good of all. It's funny. Amen. I used to, when I was in the Marine Corps, we used, I used to have buddies and they, uh, one of the guys, his name was Graham. I'll never forget the dude. We used to just make fun of him. Cause one day in a kid's house, he was like, Hey, you got some Java, got some Java. And like, why would you ask this kid for coffee? He's 17, 18 years old. But he had the great, he, he told me something that I've used throughout my life and my career. Take the emotion out of it. When you think about it, take the emotion out of it. If you can communicate what you want without emotion in it, people can listen to it. But when you stick your emotion in it, people cut you right off. 
because yeah. you just sound emo you can have the greatest facts in the world you just sound emotional at that point which you're no longer you're no longer a rational thinker no matter how smart you are yeah and you're actually giving them what they're looking for mm -hmm. you know it, i was listening to a podcast yesterday in which this legitimately female swimmer was was complaining about men who say they were women swimming against her and then she was physically attacked and what what the group that was attacking her is craving is that emotional interaction because as you, as you said the, they don't they don't have the facts to debate with you but they can be louder and the thing is they're louder at times but they're still the minority and what I, I don't like to speak into existence that a small minority of extremists are, are taking over. They're just loudest on Twitter, but then they're, they're not the majority. And when I what I've learned since I moved away from any one particular ideology is there's just a lot of level headed sort of middle of the road folks out there who just want to interact. <laughs> there you go. Who want to interact and are totally OK with disagreeing with me on some things, learning from me on others and vice versa. And. That's what I'm interested in because even the facts, I'm somebody, one of my 585 books, two of them are, are annotated history you just, books. You just wrote to them while you were sitting there, didn't you? Yeah, that's the mother hands over here. Um, uh, I have a couple of annotated historical type of books where th that side of me where I could be very analytical and detail oriented, which side note, I appreciate that you – you hype this episode is like how to live a creative life because yeah. I feel like sometimes my creative side doesn't get as much credit, but I've learned the hard way that sometimes even the documented facts aren't enough, that there has to be this blend of, of interacting with people with authenticity that gains the credibility with them. And then you could be, you could allow your emotions to come out sincerely. You could speak of the facts that you know, and it's, it's, I definitely agree with you. The, the emotions um, just turn it into an argument. Okay. Sometimes the facts just, just their eyes glaze over. And then, so I'm like, we're, I'm, I'm still searching for that middle ground, to be honest with you. We call ourselves libertarians. Um, we're the middle ground. Okay. Um, we, we don't, we don't want you to touch our money. We don't want you to touch our guns and we don't care who you sleep with and who you're friends with. We're called libertarians. That's really what you're looking for. Yeah, it's interesting because coming out of the left, the libertarians were demonized by yeah. by like without even any analysis of what they're doing. And when I learned a little bit more about libertarians, I found like I think you would with only with any reasonable legal, legal like morally minded group that there's some things I may be like, eh, I'm not so sure about that. But I, I tell you one thing, I was lining up with a libertarian perspective over the past three years <laughs> in well, terms of bodily aut autonomy and just yeah. general autonomy. And suddenly I was like, and I very, very recently um, have taken to really educating myself more on guns issues because I am not a gun person. And so I just sort of watched the debate, which I've learned is a, is a falsely defined debate. And then when I, I interviewed someone on my podcast who runs a website called gunfacts.info, in which he says that he's not taking a side, the side he's taking is accuracy. And so yeah. he, he looks at the arguments that are out there, and then he lays out the documented facts about who's saying what, who's accurate. 
And I have to say it was utterly eye-opening. Where And I'm open to learning. What's it called again? Gunfacts.info. Here, I got I to gotta throw these out real quick. Nate, you're absolutely right. We don't teach the right things in school. Uh, I'll tell you a funny one, Nate, that'll, that'll really blow your mind. Go look up the Canadians during the Second World War. You want to find out who were monster beasts that, you know, aren't the polite Canadians that just wave at everybody that we think here in America. Those dudes were doing things in the Second World War that could have went to the Hague. Have no doubt about that. Uh, and then, Cody, you're right. Why can't we all just identify as human beings and get along? Uh, no, Nate, I am not a human. I am a Marine. It's a totally <laughs> different thing. But if you ever – here, I'm going to give you my two favorites, Mickey, because I think you'll appreciate this. If you ever want to piss off somebody who's way too far on the right side, two arguments that will really fire them up. You ready to fire them up? Absolutely. The first one is, is you ask them why – why California gun laws are so restrictive and who put them in place. And they'll say, well, it was these left liberals, blah, blah, blah. And then you educate them that it was actually Ronald Reagan who did it because he didn't like the fact that the black Panthers were walking around open carrying. And he was concerned with this. So as a, basically a completely racist move, he had the laws changed so they couldn't do it. And it affected all of California. (laughs) And then you get these people with the statues, you know, getting all so upset about the statues. You let them know that most of those statues were put up during the 1950s and were directly put up as a fight against uh, desegregation. And they would put them up. And if you notice, they're all World War or Civil War generals and captains that were just the most racist has they, every single one of them was they, it's not like this statue was put up you know right after this person passed away and they put a statue up okay. for them they put them up in the 1950s as we were trying to desegregate and integrate uh, our population they were put up as like this direct like fine you can go to schools but every day you're going to have to walk past this statue of, 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 you know, what was his name? Captain, because Fort Bragg is the worst one of them all. Uh, General Bragg, C- Captain Bragg, whatever. He was like a horrible human being, absolute degenerate, horrible human being. Yeah. It's, wow. I didn't know that part. So, yeah. so, so the, in around 2020, when that was kind of catching fire that they wanted to pull um, oh. statues down, there were, there were some good points in their argument, not necessarily mm-hmm. in their tactics, but they had some points. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah, if you if you look that one up, I I love throwing that one at them. Um, I'm a I just I like harassing everybody, but but I agree with you having having the open mindset. But so but the podcast kind of feeds to that, and you kind of alluded to it that creative side for you. You are you know I joke around like the, I think we're up to 650 books at this point. You know, how, but how many how many books have you written? It's actually 12. Yeah written 12 books but five is it five of them were picked up for oh, no all of them they, they, this is these were published primarily before digital publishing became a thing so when we go back to my earlier books it's the early days of the internet when you still i had an agent who still brought a physical manuscript to a publisher who would have they would have a couple of people read it and then we'd have a meeting human beings in the same room 
believe it or not. And we would talk about the book and then perhaps sign a contract and, and it wouldn't come out in a week because it was all digital. It would take quite a while because these, the, the technology wasn't up to par. But the, so I have 12 books total like that, but the later ones were more in the digital age. But um, s some of them are nonfiction. Some of them are fiction. I believe all of them would qualify as creative. Interesting, just to dovetail it to the earlier part of our conversation, um, a bunch of them I look at now and I'm like, ah, I'm not that person anymore. Like I, I, I'm not ashamed of them. I don't disown them, but I don't feel connected to them. I mean, I have copies of them for, for my own, you know, edification, but I, I don't necessarily look at them and say, oh, I want to show this off as what I wrote. But it was a, it was a big part of my life. When my, I, I decided to become a writer very early on. So getting books published was a major goal and it felt like a major accomplishment. So yeah, today it's the book publishing has changed so much that, and I feel like my thoughts and, and opinions and just learning new facts from you tonight, I feel like to write a book, it would be obsolete by the time I finish typing it. So I don't feel any impetus right now to write a full length book, but I do post every day on Substack. So collectively, you could turn it into a book, I suppose, as a collection of essays. Well, that was, uh, what's his name? Uh, Charles Dickens. You know? Yeah. Dick Dickens was was an early blogger, if you really want to look at it <laughs> in a, in a, in a way. You know? He he was just dropping a little bit of little bit of nuggets to keep keep the money yeah. rolling in, but but you know now you you talk about you know you've published in the, or when the traditional, and I hate all in the old days back in my <laughs> day, but the more traditional of what we thought of you had to give it to an agent they had to pitch your book you had to sit down with people so you published in those days, and now publishing today, if you were gonna looking at the two of them what is your your vibe you know because you can like and cody's kind of hinting at it right now uh i'm gonna have ai help me write mine finally i have someone to fix my punctuation well that's grammarly will do that for you yeah. but but she brings that point up i have five chapters of a book and i dropped it into chat gpt because i wanted to see what it would do and it rewrote the whole chapter for me and if i drop each one of them in there and I can tell it finish writing this book. It'll finish writing my book for me. Yeah. You know, what is your vibe? Like as somebody who is so creative, has that creative gene in them. Do you think that that AI piece is damaging the writing or is it opening up for more people like myself who maybe I have a great story in my head. I can get part of it down, but I'd have a problem finishing it. I'm fine with the with the grammarly aspect of it because spelling, punctuation, grammar, they're challenging. And I have personally known some incredibly talented writers who very much needed an editor. And so um, but when we ask AI to change content and like perhaps it, let's say it's a novel and start adding characters or changing the age of your character, I'm personally not comfortable with that. I don't want to, I, the, to me, I want to, 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 I like the hashtag stay human. I really want to, us to maintain our humanity in a time period where transhumanism is, is more and more coming into play. And I don't, so I'm kind of cautious here in the sense that I think AI can, like any other tool, can be 
um, reformed to work for us. But unfortunately, the control over AI as of now is by a group of people that I would call the parasite class, or I call them the powers that shouldn't be. The, these powerful people that are calling the shots control so much of the technology that I can't look at that technology and deem it neutral because it's if you if you have what's called artificial intelligence, human beings are creating these programs. So therefore, they're colored by the perceptions, whether they know it or not, they're colored by the perceptions of the humans who are creating it. So it's not neutral. It's not unbiased. And if anything, it's going to be biased in the favor of the billionaire class over you and I. So I have a lot of questions. Um, but that's not to say that I look at AI as something as black and white, like as impossible to be something positive. But I think the system in which we live has to be seriously factored into any conversation about it. Now, you, you talk about the the powers that be in, in behind these systems. What there's a lot of people that have a lot of theories on that. Like, do you do you think it's uh, do you? subscribe to the Illuminati theory? Do you subscribe to any of these different ones that are out there that they say, well, this is the group that's actually running this. This is the group behind this. Or do you think that it's more because you watch it on the news and it's, you know, some kid in Silicon Valley type world that has has come up with this and they've worked it out, you know, IBM or somebody like that. What's your vibe there? Yeah, I'm not going to go into Illuminati territory, but I, it's, <laughs> we, we have a long enough documented history of, of elite powers. And I say elite with, with scare quotes because there's nothing. Mean. Yeah. Um, like the, the long-term bankers, the Fed, the, the, the intelligence agencies, like they wield unelected power. And in fact, a lot of bureaucracy, you know, like the presidents come and go, theoretically every four years, but the unelected bureaucrats, the Fauci's of the world, can stay in there. J. Edgar Hoover, they can stay in there 40, 50 years without ever being elected. And that type of power, you're entrenched, you're making connections, you're making deals. And so it's it's a pretty broad web of people. But the, the ones who are in my mind have always been calling the shots are the ones who profit the most from it. And and the, the they they look at the parties coming and going. I, I, I've written in the past um, how in the late 1800s, uh, Grover Cleveland was elected president. And back then they used to call the rich people the robber barons. Yeah. And they were writing actual letters back and forth to each other saying, yeah, he's going to serve our purposes fine. He was a, he was a formerly, a, uh, I believe, an attorney for the railroad industry. So he, he was tied in with them. And then four years later, he got beaten by Benjamin Harrison. And then the guys, the Robert Barron said, no, he's cool. You know, he's, he's, he gets it. He knows what's talking about, what we're talking about. Four years later, the only time it's ever happened so far is Grover Cleveland came back and reclaimed the White House because you, back then you could have as many terms as you want. But even yeah. if it was two, they don't have to be consecutive. And once again, the, the Jay Goulds and, you know, the Rockefeller class of people, the Carnegies, they were all like, it's all good. It, it, and the thing is, is that one of them was a Democrat, then a Republican was in, then it was a Democrat. So to the outside people, it's like, oh, look at this democracy at work. To the ones who are pulling the strings, it's like, just they're just changing the figureheads as long as they don't you know stir up too much it doesn't matter to us and i think that's very illustrative that that 
we're like a like a bull in a bullfight. We're looking at the cape instead of the matador. A Wait, lot we missed of the, the sword. We missed the sword behind it. Yes. Yeah. And so they're very good at distracting our attention with very. Um, it's not to say that politicians don't have power, for example, to use them, but they are theoretically elected. I mean, there should be term limits there. Sometimes they're entrenched forever, but they, these other powers, the unelected powers, like I said, the banker class, the, the, the technocrats, the intelligence agencies, we don't know their names, but they're no. behind the scenes. No matter what happens in 2024, many of them will still be, let's say in the state department, a year later, it, you know, it, the figureheads might change. The Secretary of State will change, right. but the but the, the 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 class that keeps this the culture of the State Department never changes. So I I don't think we have to even sway into, um, and I'm not disparaging anyone who says talks about Illuminati or stuff like that. But I don't even right. think we have to sway into that to make a convincing argument to everyday people. And Cody says we could all dress up like matadors and confuse them. <laughs> I love yeah. that. But but see you know what you you bring. I'm gonna help. I let's see if I can sway you on something, Mickey. Okay. You brought up term limits. We have term limits. Every all every elected office in this country has term limits. You know that, right? You mean that elections? Yeah, you have elections. Find somebody better. I, I've always felt that way. I think in practice, in fact, I know in in practice, excuse me, in theory, you're you're un undeniably correct right. as long as we have lobbyists and so much money well, in there animal. what's that lobbyists is a whole different yeah aspect. so so that so some so we could we could agree that what without imposing term limits we could change the system so that the that the everyday voters could imp impose term limits but when you have like um congressional districts in which Every two years, the, the person who's who's been there forever is winning 96 percent of the vote. Like and then that people aren't even paying it. To, it doesn't even matter who's running against this person. Oh, yeah. So you just realize that the possibility no, of that flip flopping, unless that person was caught in some incredible scandal or died, even in that case, dead people have gotten votes, too. So it's I, I, I hear what you're saying. And I say, in theory, I totally agree. In practice, we. And the electoral college for the presidential um, election is pretty tricky too. So it's 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 not. There's a lot of reforms that would be have to be made in order for that theory to become practice. See, I'm a fan of uh, rank choice voting. The, yes. At, and what is it? Maine. There's like three or four states that have that uh, for their own state elected officials. Go look it up, folks. Rank, rank choice voting. Uh, the entire country of Australia does it. But then I did some research on that and they've already figured a way to screw that shit up too. where, where you get this, you get somebody like me, who's a libertarian and we kind of are considered leaning more right because of the fact that like, we're like, don't touch my guns and don't touch my money. And what ends up happening is that person ends up tying themselves to the conservatives also and going like, Hey, we'll just work together and you can have my votes. Cause at least you're kind of more leaning. Uh, to this but here, I like what they did here recently here in New York uh, when they ran the election, the libertarian party tied in with the green party. There you go. Two, two opposite ends, but they were like, they don't want to give us time to play. And I don't want to give them time to play. So we, they just work together. 
it didn't do nothing because this is the People's Republic of New York. You live here. You live here with me. You, the only city that matters in New York is the one you're in. You realize that? Yeah. <laughs> the rest of it, you, you guys could be like, we want a sandwich tax. We're going to tax sandwiches. The next thing I know up here in Albany, they're taxing me first. I don't even get, you know, I don't get plastic bags anymore. Same here. Yeah. Because in New York City, they were like, ah, no more plastic bags. Yeah. I blame you guys for everything up here. Uh, we we, we should in, accept a fair amount of the blame. I'm in Smallbany, brother. I'm in Smallbany. <laughs> you, know yeah, I mean? you, you guys are the capital, and nobody would know that. I think the average person would think that New York City's the oh, absolutely. capital. Absolutely. Look, the only party we need is Cody party. Absolutely. There we go. But, but it really is. You know, and, and it, it it's one of the, those kind of things. But back get back online here because Can I ask I, you a libertarian question since you yes, brought it up? Absolutely. Um as a libertarian, are you um in principle against the regulation of corporations? See, I am I am not against the regulation of corporations per okay. personally. The Libertarian Party would say no, but the Libertarian Party also believes that you should bring, as a Marine who spent 20 years, believes that you should bring every troop from around the globe back home and shut us off completely from the outside world. And also they believe that um, you shouldn't have to have a driver's license to drive a car. Hmm. So, so you see what I'm saying? Like yeah. you, can, you can. So I believe corporations need regulations for this for the simple fact of. If you look at, so here you go. Do you know the largest lobbying group in the country is? No. At least they were. were. Pharmaceuticals? Corporate prisons. Oh. Corporate prisons. And, and they, it might be changed now, but at one point in time, they were the largest lobbying group in the entire country was the corporate prison. Because it's a lot of money. After Sleepy Joe got a hold of it back in the 90s, him and, and Clinton and calling people super predators and everything else they get a hold of this and i always love my favorite joe line is the one where they said from back then is uh when he said i don't care where you grew up if you committed a if, and i'm paraphrasing i'm getting it wrong i don't care where you grew up if you committed a crime uh we're still gonna send you to jail like he didn't people were like hey but you know there's there's situations here we need to work on the communities that's how you change things no Remember, this is also a guy who said his kids will, will never go to school with uh, black children. He believed in it. And this is the guy who's our president. He's also the one that got caught telling lies about uh, his college record. He was like, I'm oh, yeah. one, of, one of two, you know, but either way. But um, I, I'm off on a tangent. For, you got me on a tangent, Mickey. I don't <laughs> nobody ever gets me on a tangent. Well, like I'm that. also a podcaster here. So and <laughs> I got me on a tangent there for a moment. But. <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, back back to your original question. I think we need more. They need to be regulated. But yeah. the biggest one for me is they need to be regulated on their ability to, as you said, inject money into the political system, which actually goes back to a chief justice in 1972. It is God. What the hell was his name? He wrote a letter basically outlining for corporations on how to inject money into the political system. And if you look at it, he wrote the letter in, I want to say he wrote the letter in 70. Um, if my buddy Tom was around, he would tell me exactly who it was. The guy wrote the letter in the 70, in 1970. And at that point, 
70, and I remember seeing the numbers, 70% of the Democratic Party funding came from unions. Yeah. This was in, and they did the study in like 72. By 76, the number starts dropping and corporations start putting more money into the Democratic Party. Party. By 1980, it's a complete flip-flop. The unions are putting less money in. Most of the Democrats' money is coming from corporations. They sit up there and they say, we're the, we're for the people. We want everyone. Now, you take just as much money as everyone else, and it blows my mind how, mu how much money they take. So that's why I say – Nothing will ever change until you get the money out of it. Nothing yes. ever does. And look, and Cody, speaking of Clinton, him and Epstein seem to have been swept. Cody, him, Bill and the Epstein thing and Epstein Island is unbelievable when you start digging into it. The fact that the what was the, what was her name? The his partner. Um Glenn Maxwell. Yes. Isn't it interesting? Like her whole trial was like super quiet. Oh, yeah. And, and not a single name came out. Not yet. Yeah. Yep. And it never will. No name yeah. is ever going to come out because if you knew the names that were on that once in a while, you get a name like pop up like, Hey, did you know this one went there? Did you know that one went there? And every so often it'll pop up. And then that kind of just disappears. Yeah. Well, that that connects back to like people pulling the strings because that 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 salacious story, which the which the corporate media would sit would typically turn into like weeks of good ratings. Nobody's interested in that list. Oh, and, yeah, and, no. yeah, the Clintons' criminal history is is horrifying. But I totally hear you. It's 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 one of the great um, propaganda moves ever in how the Democratic Party to this day markets itself as for minorities and for the working man. And it's arguable whether they ever were, but certainly the numbers you cited for at least the past 50 years, they have completely moved in the opposite direction. And if you trace Joe Biden's career, you talk about someone, he was elected, but he sort of was a lifetime bureaucrat. How, oh, yeah. how It's like 50 years ago when he was first elected. Like This is someone that is so deeply embedded in the system that he, he's internalized values that even if he didn't have those those values back when he was Joe from Scranton, you can't be fifty like spend fifty years in that cesspool and maintain any moral values at this point. And like you said, he's the president. Yep. And we're gonna we got a we have a question for you. Cody has our underground child trafficking stuff is disgusting. With the people pulling the strings, it's so deeper. Cody. Uh, I can't think of Rami's last name, but she came on here. Or she's out in California and she, edu she educated me on things that I had no idea because we all, you know, Hey, look, being libertarian. One of the things that the libertarian party talks about is legalization of things like prostitution, like in Vegas. And she talks about that when they legalized it in Germany, it actually, the, the sex trafficking in Germany became worse because People no longer looked at it and said, well, hey, there's a problem over there. They said, well, that person wants to be there. They they chose that as yeah. a career. Yeah. So so it hides it in that sense. And when she explained that to me, I was like, R really? And she was like, absolutely. She goes, it became worse of a situation. And then she just talked about like a lot of the kids that they get swept up in it. Oh, yeah. It's it's Internet. It's you know, Hey, you know, we'll be friends. And then 
they get kidnapped and get held. And a lot of times they're within miles of their, their actual home and they get Stockholm syndrome. Like I have to go do this. I have to do this for this person. It's almost yeah. like a Stockholm type thing. Uh, it's, it is one of it, arguably the most insidious demonic um, culture in the entire planet. And they're, they're, they're so Machiavellian about it. Like you said, where they're able to keep the victims within range of their home, but condition them in a certain way. And definitely, I don't know who the woman is, but maybe you'll give me the name afterwards that you had on the show. Cause I'd love to talk to her, but it's, it's a real misnomer that simply legalizing prostitution is, is the solution. The women are always the victims. Many, many cases they're under age for that matter. And the, there's, there's something called the Nordic model that people could look into, but there are other models. If, if you want to accept that this uh, so-called business is going to continue, but um, you have to be wary of people that just blindly say, "Oh, well, let's just legalize it," because that's the point you said. And right. so then, it, then it's now out of the public eye as something that we need to worry about. Meanwhile, women and children are are suffering twenty four seven. So I Absolutely. couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those ones where you're like, "This doesn't make sense," but yeah, that was that was something I learned. And now. Nate has always has the most important question. He says, what's your favorite go-to meal? I'm going to hit you with something different since you are in the city. And I'm not going to hit you with the stupid pizza question. Do you have a favorite ethnic neighborhood to eat in? Well, all right. So I'm going to really give away the parts unknown. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, New York City is made up of five boroughs. I live in Queens. The neighborhood in Queens that I live is Astoria, which okay. is just over the East River from Manhattan, which if you're a New Yorker, we only call Manhattan the city. If I'm going to talk to a friend and say, I'll meet you in the city, technically I'm in the city. I'm in the city talking to you, but Manhattan, where all the big buildings are and everything, that's the city. So um, I live in Astoria, which has been um, labeled, if if not number one in the top three most ethnically diverse neighborhoods on the planet not oh, just wow. not just new york america on the planet so um i can stroll up and down blocks in astoria and try um an incredibly wide range of food i'm not the most adventurous eater wow. and i have an affliction you would say i can't really eat much spicy food it's it's not by choice my older sister she can put a jalapeno in her mouth and just chew it I have a very strict threshold of spicy food. So if I'm walking down the block past a Thai restaurant, an Indian restaurant, a Bangladeshi restaurant, I have to go in and say, um, I want this meal and I want it mild. And then I make them get eye contact with me. And I say, when I say mild, I mean white people mild. Because, <laughs> because, because if I get mild by whatever ethnicity it is, I'm sweating, my tongue is burning. So I, I enjoy. I've tried a lot of interesting foods. Oh. Um, and most recently I tried a Korean restaurant here. It was oh, I love outstanding. Korean. It was outstanding. That, not, that, that to me. So it's funny you would say that. So my favorite neighborhood is K town in, in the city, in Manhattan up. All, if you come out of, uh, if you come out of dog on uh, Penn station and walk straight up to sixth Ave, yep. it's right there. K town. And the, Korean food to me is amazing. Like, and, and it's got to, and if you're, 
you know, if you need that American flavor, it has such an American because of the American influences in Korea. It has such a vibe, but I'm going to have to go with Cody on something right now. We may have just come up with a new show for you where (laughs) Mickey does a video challenge, one new place each week in the city of a food that you would normally be like, I'm not going to eat that. And then your sister has to take you to that place (laughs) and be like, all right, eat the food. And you're like, no, I don't want to eat it. Eat it. Eat it, Mickey. And then you have to eat it at least a bite. I love this. We may have come up with a new show. Mickey eat, Mickey eats something. I, I, it's hysterical. Plus, the, the coordination would be tricky because my sister um, lives in Texas. But we, oh, we, even we, better. <laughs> even, but see, that's even better. So your sister eats the meal in Texas. Like, I don't know what part of Texas she's in. Near Houston. But, Oh, they have the the food blend that I want to try so bad in that in Texas. Viet Cajun. That's a thing. Wow. Viet Cajun, because they have such a large being on the water, they have such a large Vietnamese population from after the Vietnamese Vietnam Vietnam War that ended up in Houston, that they have fused Cajun food and Vietnamese, and it's called Viet Cajun. Wow. So you don't have a spice issue, obviously. Um, not not when I first eat it. Maybe after I eat it, but okay. that's a whole okay. different story. But wow. I, I I enjoy I enjoy food with actual like. So, but you know what? I grew up it. I grew up in Baltimore, eating steamed crabs with Old Bay seasoning caked all over them. You know, you put Old Bay on your on your on your uh, corn. You know, you take buttered corn and just stick old bay on it i even do that now with my kids with the uh steam bags of corn drop a pot of but- butter and sprinkle old bay over it my kids eat it okay well let me defend my food on here i will say <laughs> my my dad was born in italy okay and he married my mom who was who was primarily irish and at the time my italian grandparents still lived in new york so my grandma taught my mom all her secrets so my mom, who was primarily Irish, became the best Italian cook wherever we lived. People, my friends always wanted to come over and have dinner at my house. So I always had delicious home-cooked, flavorful meals. It wasn't like I had to eat bland. I mean, so you're talking garlic, oregano, basil, like the Italian right. seasoning. So I was blessed to enjoy that type of meal, but I just had... I found out very young, like, like, you know, even going to a pizza place where there's chili pepper that you can put on, yeah. taking a bite of that. I'm like, oh, this is not my thing. And I regret it. I, I would love to try more foods. But but I will say that I'm because I grew up with home cooked gourmet style meals from the old country. Um, I have a deep appreciation for eating. I just sometimes have to be selective. And Mickey, I, I think we could probably talk food. Probably- <laughs> These are my favorite shows when, and, and I'm going to give away, uh, we got to get ready to close the bar up here soon, but, and I'm going to give, give away some secrets. M- Mickey learned something very valuable. I do very little. Uh, I never tell my guests what we're going to talk about. I actually almost get uncomfortable when they're like, so what is our conversation going to be about? I'm like, stuff. <laughs> we'll talk about stuff. Probably the stuff you do. And, and and Mickey, you have been phenomenal with that because, and, and, and I understand, you know what, most, most Italian meals. So I'm just the opposite of you in the sense of my grandmother 
was our first generation born in the U.S. from Sicily. Okay. My grandfather, that side's all, and this is on my mother's or my father's side. That side of his family were all mostly Irish, living in North Carolina, and then my mother's side, Irish, living in Tennessee. So. I understand there's not a lot of spice. like people are like, well, pasta Diablo, Italian hots. Yeah, there's two things. Most Italian meals are not like known pepperoni, you know, pepperonis and uh yeah. with, with the uh uh cherry peppers. Yeah. You know, there's like a handful of things, but that's not really the Italian dishes. You're not going in and being like, Hey, I want my face caught on fire in this. <laughs> yeah. This that's not what you're looking for, for a good Italian dish. So, but I want to go back to the post woke for, for a second here, kind of bring it back full circle. So how often are you doing those shows? I'm doing roughly once a week. What I'm finding um, fun, not a challenge, but fun is the scheduling part where I'm seeking out guests and quite often, you know, you're at the mercy of their schedule. I like how we were talking before, how, methodically you're able to schedule and that is a goal of mine without a doubt but i would say um i'm not going to do the math off the top of my head but if i think it, it would average out once a week and um interesting i just wanted to say i picked up when we were interacting i picked up on your vibe that that it wasn't about let me give you some links and you're going to do research and i was really looking forward to it because i have some podcasts um my closest friend, Allison Gray, she's a musician from When Humans Had Wings. People should check that out. When we're when we're on, we freelance like this. It's it's outstanding. But I'll give you uh, do you you know the um, Utah Jazz point guard John Stockton? Absolutely. So I had him on the show, and the reason why I had him on the show was because he is quite outspoken and knowledgeable about things like masks and vaccines and topics that are are in the news and have been in the news for three years. So when I interviewed him first of all i was kind of you know fanboying a bit like it's john stockton and but i watched interviews of him took notes and so i like doing that research but i have been contemplating um a a switch in pot in post woke where it i blend in more freestyle conversations and tonight i'm having so much fun talking to you it's 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 an excellent convincing uh, point that this can be just as rewarding. I'm not saying one over the other, but I need balance where I don't always want to be that I have to get every single fact right. Instead, it's like a vibe, you know, taking tangents. And, and I just want to say, thank you. I really appreciate that vibe that you've created here. Absolutely, bro. And John Stockton, I just watched, (laughs) I just watched a video about him where somebody was covering guy was getting interviewed about covering Stockton in uh, when he was with the Utah jazz and he was covering Stockton and he did something and ran into Stockton and Stockton just like two hand blasted him. It was like, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> and you don't think about that mindset with John Stockton from that era. But at the same time, that era to me was a much more, like the t- today's game is a lot of finesse. They're big, they're way bigger. But that era was a lot of like, I will beat you like you yeah. owe me money, kid. Yeah. Like, they didn't like, call flagrant fouls back then. And, no, like and Stockton's roaming around at six foot one, making the Hall of Fame, making the dream team. I right, mean, that's right. Nothing but admiration for him. Oh, God. Like that would be so cool to me. Like you talk to Stockton. And I mean, and I can remember him 
passing off the ball to grandmama, uh, you know, <laughs> remember grandmama, like he was, God, I don't know if there was ever a better assist man in the history of the NBA. Yeah. He just, he, he was different and he played such a non-selfish game. Yeah. If that, you, if, I don't want to go so far off here, but if, I know. You, if you go to YouTube and watch his hall of fame speech when he gets in, when he enters the hall of fame, He's a total point guard. He spends the entire 11, 12 minutes pointing out everyone else who helped him get there. Not a word about himself the whole time. Love entire it. speech is point guard. He just dishing out assists the entire time. So I, I, I had such a great time talking to him. Look, and Cody, Cody's still on the food. I feel like we're really expanding Mickey's reach with food <laughs> challenges. Uh, what will what will be be after he eats the tagline? What will be? Oh, you got to have a tagline. After you eat that, you, well, you got to just go back to the, that's a good. <laughs> so do you have anybody coming up, uh, upcoming shows, like somebody like you're like, hey, I'm getting ready to. Now, your shows are all recorded and then you nothing live, right? Nothing live. Yeah. OK. And it's, and it's audio only for now. Um, <clears throat> I kind of like it, <clears throat> but I do want to do this eventually. But I have had a new, unique cross section where it depends on like you you would get amped with John Stockton. But then if I told someone else that Dr. Robert Malone was on, who invented the mRNA technology, but is now speaking out against vaccines, they might get amped. <clears throat> but coming up next month, I'm going to speak to a woman who is a religious scholar who got, it, it's really hard to explain how, but she got caught up in the world of UFOs. And she wrote this epic book about putting the mindset of like the search for UFOs from coming from the point of an academic from the religious world. She happens to be Catholic. And in the book, she winds up at the Vatican where they have an incredible observatory at the top of the Vatican. I did not know that. till I, I didn't know that either. Yeah. So um, Diana Pasulka, her name is. So she's she's someone that's coming up relatively soon that I am really excited to just give her space to talk because she's got such a fascinating background. Oh, that is. See, now you're in, you're so square in my wheelhouse because <laughs> I, I always tell people I, I have a degree in human resource management. And if I could go back, I would get a degree in theology and not not because of any more reason than in this. You're going to call me a crazy person, but I just finished this book called um, Never Split the Difference. It's written by an FBI negotiator who now runs a company who works called black Swan that works with other companies on negotiations. Okay. And he, one of his parts of that book, he's, he's like, know your, know your uh, opponent's religion, know who you're negotiating with religion. Wow. It affects, it affects so much of how we operate and how we do things from different moral standpoints. Um, and I've always said, cause I love sales training. I love different sales related things. I've always said that I wish I would have uh, studied theology and I go to church every Sunday. So it probably makes me sound like a horrible person, but to understand other religions, to be able to have more educated conversations. Like you really want to mess it. Look, I'm a, I'm a Methodist. I, I'm right there. You want to mess them up and explain to a Catholic that at the birth of Christianity, there was another religion that 
the last I heard, there's still like 250,000 people on the planet that still follow this. Don't ask me the name of it. It was one of those History Channel shows that their their main care their main person in the religion their savior was locked inside of a cave where he had to fight a demon for three days, defeated the demon, and ascended through a hole in the cave, and then saved all of his people. Nice. On the third day, he rose again. Wow. It's, you know, it's it's one of those ones where it's like, so to understand these things and to understand these conversations always have just been fat. So I think that show now, when will now you'll record that this week or next week? Probably towards the end of, of May in between. I, I, I have a couple other people lined up. I, I recently got in touch with people who have been injured by, um, vaccines Ooh. and have been have have had issues with finding anyone to to believe them or listen to their story because for obvious reasons right and so um it, it's tricky working around the schedule because it, it, I'm trying to get a handful of people on the show at once but that will probably be the next show but um the the, the one I mentioned Diana is one that I we have we don't have the date schedule but um. I can't wait for that one, but I'm going to urge you don't, it's not too late to study theology, however you do it. I mean, you don't have to do it officially sitting in a classroom, but I'm with you a hundred percent on that. I, I find it completely fascinating. I just, I, I've always said that if you know someone's religion and you know where they eat, you, you know, everything about a community. Those are the two things I used to tell my recruiters that when that worked for me, I used to, they'd be like, Oh, I can't find nobody. I'm like, all right, where's everybody eat at? And they'd be like, what? Where does everyone in this town eat? And they'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, all right, let's figure it out. And I would go to the schools and I'd be like, hey, it's around lunchtime. I'm going to go get something. Is there somewhere local that I can go eat at? I'm not really looking for a McDonald's or nothing like that. Oh, we'll go to this place or go to that place. And I would go to that place and then I would talk to the waitress or talk to the the owner. And I'd have a nice conversation because I was in uniform. So they wanted to talk to me and they would tell me everything about the town that I needed to know. And they would go, and all the the factories, you know, closed 10 years ago, everybody works at the Walmart distribution center. This is, you know, the only opportunities. All right. These are all things you use in in a sales conversation. Yeah. And you also just use it to interact with humans face to face. I mean, we're hardwired to have these types of conversations and find out where the communities are, like you said, in the places of worship, in the place where they eat. So I, I love that idea, but you just said you're Methodist. You know, yeah. United Methodist. We're going through a big change right now too. Okay. Cause I, cause when you said Italian and Irish mixed in there, I was like, how are you not Catholic? Oh, I was, so that's a whole, all right. So we'll go a couple of minutes over. So I was born, I was born Catholic. You know, my mother was Baptist. My mother couldn't marry my father until she told the priest that, and which is so creepy now as you think about it sometimes, told the priest that she promised to raise me Catholic. And then they would let my mother and father marry in a Catholic church. So they got married in a Catholic church, uh, went to Catholic school for six years. You know, I, I still say, I still say my prayers with my hands folded, make the little cross at the back, whole nine yards. Fast forward, uh, my two oldest sons, I was on base and they were getting baptized. And my ex-wife, she was actually raised Greek Orthodox and we're trying to find something. So we said, you know what, we'll just go with uh, the Protestant, whatever it was on base. So he gets there and it's a Methodist. 
it's a Methodist uh, priest preacher. And he's like, he, I always think back that the dude was just wacky. He's like, <laughs> we're like, yeah, Hey, you're, you're doing our kids baptism. He's like, Oh, I am. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, so he does the whole thing. We get done still looking for a church that fits with my, my ex-wife. We went to a UCC church, United church of Christ. Wasn't a bad church. Really liked it. Very similar to Methodist move on. My son, Luke or Dylan, he's 13. He was born on a Friday night, if I remember. No, Friday morning. And my ex-wife had a C-section, so she had to stay in the hospital a little bit longer. I, we had been looking for the right church. I walked into my current church, Calvary United Methodist in Latham, New York. I walked in there on that Sunday and have been there ever since. And I've always said that because of the way my other children were baptized, God meant for me to be a Methodist. That was his plan. And, and I always refer to Methodist. It's the Pepsi one of Catholic, all the same great flavor, just none of the guilt. <laughs> I like the sound of that. I went to 12 years of Catholic school. So so I've, I've been taught by priests and nuns and I did the inevitable lapsed Catholic thing. And I view myself now as a prodigal son returned back on some level, but not in a traditional Catholic way. And I share the regret that you have because I don't know whether it was the teachers I had during those 12 years or my resistance to learning, but I feel like I could have, un I could have learned a lot more and appreciated a lot more about the stories of the scriptures and the gospels at the time. But it just was something that if I had, you know, it was in high school, you just had math and science and social studies and religion. It was a class you had and you just did what you did in every class. You memorized what you needed to do to take the test. And I didn't feel a connection to it. And much later in life, I had to forge that connection myself. And, you know, like you said, it could be the path that I was meant to be on, but I do look back and say, man, 12 years, I wish I would have picked up a little more. Get more out of that. That. Yeah. Well, look folks, I hope you enjoyed lis listening to me and Mickey talk. Obviously, you can find his show. It's a weekly show. He's got about 80-some episodes. He's written 700 books by the time this is all over with. We just keep adding to the number. <laughs> Please go check out his show at Post Woke, and that's just like it sounds, Post P-O-S-T, Post Woke, W-O-K-E podcast. Check out the Post Woke podcast. If you're finding us through Mickey's show and this is the first time you found us, please give a like, follow, share, all those things. I know it sounds cliche, but listen to me. You don't know about Mickey. I don't know about Mickey unless you do those things. This is how we get found. This is how the algorithms work. These, these, uh, the technologists, or I, he had a great term, and I can't think of what Mickey called him, the tech people behind it all. This is how they've put it together. This is how it's worked, that they get this opportunity and they control that part to it. So please give a, give us like, follow, share, whether it be on uh, Apple, if you're listening to the audio, whether it be on uh, YouTube, give us a follow. That means something. That's how we all grow. That's how this gets bigger. That's how this entire thing gets gets bigger. Again, if you've got a sticker, you got something you're supporting, sticker and a cause, always follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, all those kind of things. You can always follow us on those things. Now, Mickey, because I know you listen, I think this is 176 or 177. I know you said you got to 172 or 172. Something like that, yeah. Something like that. And, and it I'm got working on it. You're working on getting through all of them. I know you went through all of them. So you know that the rule at the end of every show, and don't log off after this, we got to talk for a moment. The rule at the end of every show is very simple. The guest always gets the final word. So what's the final word, Mickey? 
Well, I'm going to give you the final word I use on the Postwoke podcast when I wrap up, and that's keep your guard up. All righty, folks. Be sure to push your stool in. This has been an Earplug Podcast presentation found on EarplugPodcast.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, and wherever your favorite podcasts are found.